In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today is Jobs Friday, but before I get to the jobs report, I want to talk a little bit about the escalation of the trade war. In fact, some of the stories I'm reading are that the trade war began today or last night. A lot of the tariffs are finally uh, being imposed. And of course, you know, the markets reacted positively. The Dow was up uh, 100 points today. In fact, the NASDAQ was up 100 points as well, which is percentage-wise, a much bigger increase, uh, 1.34% move. So, hey, who cares about a trade war? Bring it on, right? America is going to win the trade war because we've got the least to lose, because we've got the biggest deficits, right? Everybody is talking this thing up. The dollar, meanwhile, sold off today. Dollar index uh, closed at 94, barely held the 94 handle. It uh, traded below it briefly, uh, despite what most people were considering a stronger non-farm payroll report. So the dollar going down despite the beginning of the trade war and despite uh, the supposed strong jobs numbers. So again, to me, dollar topped out above 95. Uh, I expect us to crack below below 94 next week. And if we break below 93, I think if we get into the 92s, I'm pretty sure the rally is over, technically speaking, and we're headed for new lows relatively quickly. But let me get back to this trade war that we're supposedly going to win. You know, one of the most interesting things about it is when you look at the goods that each side 
is imposing tariffs on, right? Because when you look at that, you can see which country is really the industrial powerhouse and which country is, you know, basically a third world country masquerading as an economic power. So here are the goods. I'm going to read off this long list of goods, but these are the goods that are made in China that Trump wants to tax American citizens for buying these Chinese goods. Here are the goods. Aircraft tires, nuclear reactors, boat motors, aircraft engines and engine parts, air and gas compressors, industrial heating equipment, scales, industrial scales, cranes and other lifting equipment, bulldozers, you know, boring machines, construction vehicles, oil and gas drilling platforms, plows, mowers, combine harvest thrashers, other agricultural vehicles, dairy milkers, chicken incubators, livestock equipment, machinery for processing meats and fruits, machinery for making paper and cardboard, parts of printers and copy machines, machinery for processing molds, metal, cement, machinery for making glass products, uh, light bulbs, machines for plastics and rubber, ball bearings, DC and AC generators, electric transformers, industrial magnets, lithium batteries, industrial ovens and furnishes, radar, radio equipment, parts for televisions, video recorders, uh, electronic traffic signs, electronic equipment for circuit breakers, LEDs, trains and rail parts, large vehicles, diesel, non-fuel, cars, trucks, motorcycles, helicopters, airplanes, microscopes, telescopes, lasers, imaging, navigational equipment, medical equipment, uh, scientific equipment. I mean, these, these are the things that the Chinese make and send to us. You know what? China is imposing tariffs on us. The, the Chinese goods, soybeans, pork, fish, orange juice, whiskey. I mean, this is stuff that you grow. This is stuff that you make. You know, and now there's actually a longer list. Let me find, because there's some stuff. So here's a longer list on what China is taxing. So soybeans, aircraft. Okay, so we do make some aircraft, some cars, computer chips, jet engines, gold. Gold. That's one of our major exports to China. Gold. We dig it out of the ground. They buy our gold. You know, um, medical instruments. Okay, chip making, scrap paper, scrap paper. You know, the paper that we just is left over. Um, chemical instruments. Okay, that's real. Aluminum scraps, scraps, right? Already used. Frozen pork, fresh pork, ethanol, fruits, nuts, wine, plants, you know, ginseng, just stuff like that, herbs. I mean, look at what we make. We don't make anything. I mean, we have a few things, but mostly it's what we grow, right? The people, the businesses that are most impacted by the tariffs in China are the farmers, agriculture, because now our agricultural products will be less competitive in the Chinese market than maybe the agricultural products of Australia or South America or Canada. So maybe the Chinese will buy fewer you know, uh, pork bellies uh, or, you know, soybeans from America and they'll buy more soybeans from some other agricultural economy. But the point is that China is now the industrial powerhouse that has real manufactured goods. And we're like a colony of China where we just, you know, we grow stuff, right? We can make what we can pull out of the ground. I mean, if we didn't have natural resources, what would we have? If we didn't have fertile farmland, right? If we didn't have gold mines with gold that they can pull out of the ground, you know, the Chinese... They should really increase their imports from America by buying more of our gold, right? Because obviously that's going to benefit them because they can be buying gold as they're getting rid of their dollars. But America is not positioned 
to win this trade war. Look, China can buy food and beverages from anybody it wants. I mean, anybody can grow this stuff, right? You got, you got farmers all over the world. You know, what China has is far more valuable than what we've got. I mean, they've got all these manufactured products that are important. And of course, our farmers, even though they grow food, the farm equipment, the stuff that they need to be efficient is imported from China, right? We grow the food, but the machinery that you need to harvest your crops or plant your crops, that stuff is being imported. And all the parts, I mean, what happens if you're a farmer and you know, your tractor breaks down and you need some spare parts or whatever? Those parts are being imported. So all that stuff is going to cost more. All we are doing is raising the prices that Americans have to pay to import the products that our inefficient economy is incapable of producing. But anyway, let me you know move forward or transition now to talk about the economy because obviously we got the economic data today. We got the highly anticipated non-farm payroll. We get that report the first Friday of every month and that was today. And they were looking for 190,000 new jobs and we got 213,000, a beat. Not only did we beat the consensus, but we revised the prior month's 223,000 up to 244,000, so more jobs. But again, you know, I have no idea how accurate these statistics are. You take a look at the birth death model, and basically over 90% of that 213,000 can be accounted for in the birth death model, which I pointed out on this podcast is the fact that the government assumes that a bunch of companies were started and that those companies hired people. Now, I don't know how they guess how many companies were formed versus, you know, closed down, and then how many people those newly created companies hired. I don't know how they get this number, but there's got to be some, you know, randomness to it. There's got to be some uh, subjectivity to it where, you know, you have to make a guess on whether you think businesses are being created or not. So, I mean, how do they even know how accurate this number is? It could be off by a mile. And of course, they end up, you know, they go back a year later, they usually, and they revise them once they get better information. But right now it's all a guess. But of course, Wall Street puts so much stock into, you know, is the number above 200,000 or below it when really we have no idea what the number is. The unemployment rate actually notched up. It was 3.8% last month. Uh, and they were expecting it to stay at 3.8%. And instead it notched up to 4%. So we'll see. Maybe 3.8% was the low, and it's uphill from here. We'll see. I mean, if that's the case, maybe Trump will stop tweeting about the unemployment rate. Um, private payrolls, also better than expected. The uh, labor force participation rate actually notched up from 62.7 to 62.9. That is probably why the unemployment rate jumped up, because when people who are not participating in the labor market are now participating, if they're participating without a job, they are now unemployed. And so that is what happened. You have more people looking for work. And so now those people are counted as being unemployed, whereas when they weren't looking for work, they weren't being counted. The average hourly earnings, which is another number that everybody looks at, actually came in less than expected. They were looking for up 0.3 to match the up 0.3 that we got for May. Uh, and instead, the June number was up 0.2. And that brought the... Uh, year-over-year year increase to 2.7, although that matched the number we had from the prior month. They were expecting it to notch up to 2.8. Hours work remained the same, 34.5. 
in general, they were describing this as Goldilocks, right? Not too hot, not too cold. Economy is continuing to be strong. So nobody really worried about that. But, you know, you look at this unemployment rate. The U6 unemployment rate jumped up from 7.6 to 7.8. So a similar increase as the, the headline rate. But the, the U6 rate is the rate. I mean, that's the way they used to count unemployed. You know, whenever it changed, whether it was in the 90s or whenever it was, the difference between the U6 rate and the U2 rate, which I think is the, the 4%, is the people who are working part-time while they're looking for a full-time job, right? They're not counted as unemployed in the, the regular rate, but they are in the U6. And the people who have given up looking, they're unemployed, and their only reason they're not looking for work is because they're convinced they won't find it. So it's not that they don't want a job. They just don't think a job is there. So they're not even bothering to look. So those two categories are not included in the headline number that Donald Trump brags about. That's why when he was a candidate, he said the numbers were phony because he knew that those people were not being counted. Well, now he doesn't care that they're not counted. He wants to go back to the phony number, the fraud number, and perpetuate the same fraud by bragging about how low the unemployment rate is. But if he was being honest, he would be using the 7.8% number and not the 4% number, or he would have been using 7.6 instead of 3.8. But even that 7.8 number, that U6 number, is not honest at all. And here's why. The cutoff for discouraged workers is a year. That's it. So if you have been unemployed and discouraged for more than a year, you are no longer counted as a discouraged worker for the purposes of being included in the U6 number. So that means every month, right, you've got people that have not been looking for work for a year because they don't believe there's any work for them, right? So they were never counted in the official unemployment rate. I mean, they were counted until they became discouraged. So if you're unemployed and you're out there looking for work, you're in the unemployment numbers. If you decide, you know what, I'm tired of looking, I've been pounding the pavement, I can't get a job, screw it, I'm just going to stay at home, I'm not looking for work anymore. Now you move away from the official unemployment number, but you're still included in the U6 number for a year. After a year, if you're still not looking because you're still discouraged, all of a sudden you drop off the statistics completely. You're now long-term unemployed and you're not counted. And that is the real reason that the unemployment rate is so low because so many people have been so discouraged from finding a job for so long that they're not counted. That's why the employment to population rate is so low. That's why the labor force participation rate is so low because there are so many people who have been unemployed for so long that they've permanently given up on looking for a job. That is the secret to the low unemployment rate because so many people who are unemployed are not counted. Donald Trump understood this as a candidate. He forgot it as president, right? Because he wants to keep bragging about how we have the lowest unemployment in history, only based on the way we count it. If we were counting unemployment the way they did in the 80s and 70s and 60s, it'd probably be around 20%. I don't know if it would be as high as the 40% that that Donald Trump was guesstimating when he was a candidate. But I have heard reasonable statistics that say that if you throw in the long-term unemployed, 
we got about a 20% unemployment rate in the United States right now, which is, you know, pretty much similar to what it was during the Great Depression. And that 20% rate probably makes sense given how low the labor force participation rate is and given how low the uh, number of people employed is relative to the overall population. That's what's going on. And, you know, that's why you've got all these jobs. You know, we got the ADP numbers that came out yesterday and ADP missed for four straight months. So even though you're getting beats on the government numbers, these private surveys by ADP, they're, they're missing. And one of the big parts of the ADP was all of these jobs that are going unfilled, right? Employers have all kinds of jobs that they're, and they're looking for workers and they can't find them. And you know, when you hear the, the way the news covers this, this is like, it's a good thing, right? Oh, the economy is so strong. We don't even have enough workers for all our jobs. Like, well, what a great problem. We have so many jobs and no, we can't even find the workers. Like, this is great, right? The economy is so strong that, you know, we can't even find enough workers to fill all these jobs. You know, the truth is the opposite. The fact that we don't have skilled workers is a big problem. I mean, skilled workers are a resource, right? Economies have resources. You have natural resources, right? You have capital goods and you have labor. Labor is an important resource, but only to the extent that it's skilled. If, if, if you have a bunch of people that can't do anything, then how much value can they bring to a company? So if you've got all these companies that want to hire people, but they can't find them because the people don't have any skills, that doesn't necessarily say that the economy is in such great shape. What it says is that our labor force is a disaster. Look, if people know how to do something, there's always going to be jobs. If you have a skill, if you can go to an employer with skills and productivity and you can say, hey, hire me, maybe pay me $15 an hour because I'm going to increase your productivity by $20 an hour, right? All of a sudden the job is there. I mean, employers will hire anybody that they can make a profit on. If you can bring somebody into your organization that is going to increase your productivity, then you'll hire them, right? So the fact that you know we have a bunch of people that can't add any productivity, that all these companies need workers that can add productivity to their organization and they can't find them, that doesn't mean that we have a strong economy. That just means we have a disastrous labor force. And why is that? Why is it that we have so many people who are unemployed who are not qualified to work at all these jobs that they could have if they only had some skills? And the reason for that is government. Government has destroyed our labor force in America. How have they done that? Through the educational system, through the educational bureaucracy, through the nonsense that everybody has to go to school all kids have to graduate high school. Everybody has to get a college degree. And so what we do is we keep our young people in school, no matter whether or not they have the aptitude for school, right? No matter whether they're actually studying, right? You can't fail anybody. Everybody has to pass. In fact, I was just reading these articles now about not only does everybody graduate, everybody graduates with honors, Right, everybody, you know, I mean, it doesn't even matter. I mean, they so dumbed it down. You know, you don't only get to graduate from college. Everybody's got honors. Everybody's got, you know, cum laude on their degrees. I mean, you know, it used, used to be you just had, you got, you know, if you were the top guy in the class, if you were number one or number two, okay, that was a big deal. Now it's like the whole class is graduating with some kind of honors. But meanwhile, nobody knows how to do anything. We have all these young kids that we keep in school until they're 18, right? Until they 
graduate 12th grade. And a lot of these kids aren't learning anything. It's really glorified daycare. But what we're preventing them from doing is learning a trade. I, I, the vast majority probably of kids that are in high school probably shouldn't even be there. They should be out working. They should be out learning a trade, either in a trade school or learning on the job. But of course, no one's going to learn on the job because no one's going to hire somebody and teach them because of the minimum wage law or because of all the occupational licensing laws. Or also, look, my, my grandfather was a carpenter. He didn't go to high school. He didn't go to grammar school. He was a carpenter. He learned how to be a carpenter in Europe before he came to the United States. I think when he got here, he was still a teenager by himself. Didn't even speak any English, but he was able to get a job and he eventually, you know, bought a house, had a, had a, a wife, eight kids, raised them. You know, my grandmother didn't have a job. He didn't even have, you know, he, he basically just, a, you know, you could, you could support a, a wife and eight kids in this country without even going to high school. He had a trade. He knew how to be a carpenter, but his, his experience, he apprenticed for a carpenter where he basically worked for nothing helping out somebody. And that person, while, you know, my grandfather was working for nothing, he learned how to be a carpenter, right? He paid his dues. He assisted a carpenter. And as he was assisting the guy, he learned how he learned the trade. But that's illegal in America today. You can't, you know, bring somebody on board and have them do work unless you're going to pay them the minimum wage and pay them, uh, you know, workman's comp and pay them all kinds of other benefits. I mean, to hell with that. People say, I'm not going to train. I'm not going to pay somebody and train them. You want me to train you? Right? It's, you know, you work for me for free. And while you're working for free, I'll teach you what to do. Because when you first start, you can't do anything. What, it, it, when you don't have a skill and you work for somebody who does, what you are getting from your employer is far more valuable than the money that he might pay you. Because the skills enable you to then go out and do it yourself. You know, in improving your own skills, human capital is important. And a lot of people, you know, they're not necessarily that bright, right? Academics is not their thing. So getting a degree is not going to matter. You know, majoring in philosophy or English or sociology and then going to college isn't going to matter. But if they can actually learn how to do something, learn how to use their hands and make things and fix things and have a trade, those skills are very valuable. In fact, they can be a lot more valuable than what they might learn in college, even if they have the aptitude to absorb it and then go out into the real world and do something with it. But we don't have enough young kids learning how to do things. So now you have all these businesses that want to hire people, but they don't have any skills to do the work that they need because they wasted all their time in, in school. And how much money did we blow on K through 12 in, you know, education when kids could have been out learning skills? I mean, even a trade school would be better. But I personally think that you're going to learn more from a guy who's actually doing it than a guy who's teaching it. Right? The guy who's teaching it is not going to do it as well as the guy who's actually employed in the private sector doing it. And I think it's better to learn on the job than to learn in the classroom. But the government made that impossible with all these labor laws. And now they, you know, they have all these kids. Oh, everybody has to go and graduate high school. We can't treat anybody differently. We have to treat you know, all the kids the same. Obviously, some kids have the brains, the IQ, and they're going to benefit from a high school education. And other kids are not. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can pretend all you want. You know, all people are created equal in the eyes of the law, but they're not equal in intelligence. They're not equal in aptitude. And so some people are not cut out for academics. But we try to cram everybody into that same hole. And it's just, 
waste of money, waste of time. But then not only that, after the kids graduate from um, high school, then we send them all to college where they major in liberal arts. But they don't major in the things that they, that they need to major in because that requires harder work, more studies, and it interferes with your, you know, with your partying. You want to stay up late. You want to get drunk. You want to chase girls. Well, you can't do that if you're, you're studying engineering or computer science. You have real courses. You have to get up in the morning, right? I mean, so, I mean, so people basically, it's a social experiment. People are in college to have fun, to try to graduate doing the least amount of work because they think if they just get that piece of paper, that all of a sudden it's their ticket to easy street. Well, okay, they graduate, they got a mountain of debt, but they're not qualified for anything. So the fact that we have so many people who aren't qualified to do anything is a huge problem. And none of this is getting solved. All of this is getting worse. Speaking about the economy, we got the Fed minutes came out this week. And of course the Fed continues to pretend or maybe they really believe, who the hell knows, everything is great, right? The economy is great, in fact, they're a little concerned the economy is doing so well that it might lead to inflation, right? They're saying, here's, this is a quote from their minutes. They're concerned that a prolonged period in which the economy operates beyond potential could give rise to heightened inflationary pressures or to financial imbalances that could lead eventually to a significant economic downturn, as if inflation is a byproduct of economic growth. There is no potential of the economy that it can't exceed, right? There is no upper limit on growth. It's not like you're going to overheat, right? Now, oh, the economy is going to overheat. We got to cool it down. A real economy can't overheat because increased production does not produce inflation. It's the reverse. Increased production brings prices down, right? The more supply you have, the less stuff costs. That is the beauty of economic growth. So there is no speed limit on a real economy. There is, I guess, on these bubble economies that the Fed creates. But to the extent that inflation breaks out, and it will break out, it's not because the economy was too strong, but because the Fed was too easy, because they printed too much money. They kept interest rates too low for too long. They did QE1, 2, and 3. That's the reason uh, that prices are going to skyrocket, not because the economy is too strong. In fact, the economy is going to weaken and prices are going to keep strengthening. In fact, the economy is going to slip into recession and inflation is going to accelerate the way it's measured by the CPI. But, you know, when the Fed minutes came out, you know, most people were still, everything is fine. You know, everything looks good. The Fed is, you know, not too concerned. And in fact, when they point to the U6 unemployment rate, they say, see, look, you know, the Fed has room to let the economy run because, you know, there's really more unemployed people out there. People who are not in the labor force could decide to step in uh, if they think there's an opportunity. But again, these are the Phillips curve guys that believe that inflation and unemployment are, you know, opposites, that unemployment uh, keeps inflation at bay. And if there's too many people working, then prices go up. That's nonsense. If people are working productively, that keeps prices down. The problem is if people are working and they're, they're not productive and money is just being printed and they're earning new money that's paid for by uh, government creating it out of thin air, then that type of employment will lead to higher prices because the employed are not employed productively, so they're, they're not making anything, but they've got money to spend. Where's the money coming from? It's coming from the Fed or the government. So it's the money coming into the economy that is pushing up prices. Not the production, not the labor, not the work part. That stuff is good to the extent that people are employed productively. If they're employed by government 
improductively, inefficiently, if they make nothing, if you're just digging holes and filling them and the government is printing money to pay the people to dig them and to pay the people to fill them, well, then they go to spend the money on what? On products made in China, right? But they're going to try to buy products. They're not there and bid the prices up. And that's where the inflation is coming from. It's not coming from the strength of the economy. You know, another thing too, just anecdotally on inflation, you know, I talk a lot about how the inflation numbers are are really, you know, understated. The Fed is not really capturing, just like they're not capturing the true uh, number of unemployed people in this country anymore uh, because of the way they've, you know, changed those statistics. We They've done that with inflation as well. And so economic growth is overstated. Unemployment and inflation are understated due to these statistics. But just anecdotally, you know, I'm on the internet quite a bit and um, I'm always looking for, you know, news stories to read. You know, I don't really get newspapers delivered anymore. I mean, well, I read the news on the internet. And what I've been noticing a lot over the last month or so is one after another, the sites that I've been utilizing to read stories are now charging me to see the story. Right? All of a sudden I'll say, oh, you've used up uh, your free uh, stories, whether it's Bloomberg or whether it's... Uh, the Washington Post or the New York Times, I mean, all these newspapers that I would I would go on and read the stories. Now it's saying, well, you know, you want to read these stories, you got to sign up and you got to pay money to read them. And usually when I get that, I mean, the money, it's not expensive, a dollar, I don't know if it's a dollar a month, I'm not really sure, but I don't feel like, you know, I want to read a story, I don't feel like signing up, you know, getting out my credit card, giving them all the information and, you know, having another account. So I, what I normally do is, okay, I get, I, I leave and I find another article on the same topic that I don't have to go and register for that, that I can read. But I'm thinking about all this when it comes to the CPI because none of it is going to be counted as inflation or as a price increase. Because if something was free, it's not even in the CPI. So to the extent that you were able to get content for free, the cost is not there. And all of a sudden now, if you have to pay for something that you used to get for free, first of all, the percentage increase is impossible to calculate because it's infinite, right? Because if you go from zero to anything, you can't really calculate a percentage when your base is zero. But it's obviously a huge uh, increase in cost percentage if you, you know, I mean, if you try to calculate it, but it's just going to be missed out. But I think that this is you know, going on now more and more people. And it's probably not just stuff on the internet. There's a lot of stuff that used to be provided for free. I mean, look now at the airlines too. And you go and you book an airline too. And you go and you look on, on the internet and you try to book an airline flight. And when you see the price, but when you go to select your seat now, every single seat costs more money. Then the, I don't even, the actual price means nothing because that's just the opening bid. And then as soon as you get on there and it's not like, you know, that even the seats, you know, towards the rear, you know, sometimes even the middle seats cost extra. I mean, it's hard to find a seat that you don't have to add some kind of premium on top of it. But I don't know if any of these costs are built into the CPI when it comes to ticket prices, because they might just take the actual ticket price that they display, you know, when you go online and you search and it'll give you the exact fare. But none of those are actually the fares that you pay, because when you actually try to reserve your seats, you know, they cost, uh, you know, they cost a lot. Now, maybe if you don't reserve a seat, if you just say, look, I'll just take whatever seat you have, which, you know, especially if you're traveling with a friend then you know, you're not even going to be sitting together. They're just going to find a place to put you uh, wherever they wherever they can find some empty seats. But all these things that, you know, used to just be for free. They didn't charge you at the airport, you know, to, to pick your seats and have two seats together. But now all sorts of things that used to be included are now just 
you know, you got to pay for them separately. But all this stuff is not being captured uh, by the CPI. Now, I wanted to go back to and talk a little bit about the, the podcast that I did on July 4th or the July 3rd about uh, Dependence Day being nothing to celebrate. And I know one, just looking at some of the comments, I know one thing that I want to kind of clarify because I didn't really get a chance to get into it was, you know, when I talked about the idea of America where it's the rugged individual, people fend for themselves, take care of themselves, right? The government is not supposed to give us stuff. That's not why we have governments. We have governments to protect what we have, right? Uh, people will think, well, isn't that very selfish, right? I mean, don't you care about the less fortunate, care about the needy, right? Shouldn't the government be helping the poor, right? If you have a country where it's just about preserving the wealth of the wealthy, right, preserving private property, then what about the people that don't have any private property, right? I mean, you don't care about them. Shouldn't the government help them, right? Isn't, isn't America a greedy, selfish country then if everybody is supposed to just care about themselves? And yeah, I mean, that's, you know, what the left believes, but that's completely wrong. I mean, first of all, the most important element is your individual liberty, your, your individual freedom, right? That's what it's about. It's not just about, hey, let's just, you know, be greedy. It's about being free. It's about owning yourself. It's about not being a slave, not being an indentured servant, whether it's to an individual or, 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 or to a mob, which is really what the government represents is an organized mob. Look, I am all in favor of charity, of, of helping people who are less fortunate than you. And I think that nobody is more charitable than free people. I believe that human beings in general are good. Are all humans good? No. There are son of a bitches out there that couldn't give a damn about anybody but themselves. Fine. But they're in the minority. The vast majority of people are very uh, considerate and caring of their fo fellow man and want to help people who can't help themselves, who are, you know, fall on hard times. I just don't want government to do that because government can't do that. And if you enable government to do that, what you're doing is you're legitimizing theft. If you see somebody who is needy or poor and you want to help them, go right ahead, right? But what you can't do is rob somebody else. You can't be Robin Hood. You can't say, here's a rich person who has too much Here's a poor person who doesn't have enough. It's not fair. I'm going to go take some stuff from that rich person and give it to the poor person to make it fair. I'm going to redistribute some of that guy's wealth to somebody who needs it and doesn't have it. Most people would acknowledge that that's wrong, right? Even liberals would say, yep, you can't go directly and steal from one person and give to somebody else. And of course, you can't even steal. I mean, you can't use your own poverty as an excuse to steal from somebody. Right? You just can't go rob a store and steal some food because you're hungry, right? People might understand why you committed that crime, but they still say, look, you're not allowed to steal. You can ask the store owner you know, to give you some food because you don't have any money to pay for it, but that doesn't justify right, going out and stealing it. When you introduce an intermediary, it doesn't change the dynamics, right? If I can't steal from somebody myself, then I can't elect somebody to do it for me. Right? If you have a group of people that get together and vote for a politician to take money from somebody who didn't vote for that politician, and now you know we're electing somebody to steal, it's still theft. I mean, that's why I forget who's, who defined elections that way, but it was an election is an advanced auction on the sale of stolen goods. Well, you're not allowed to steal goods. You're not allowed to auction them off. But that doesn't mean that poor people aren't going to get helped. They're helped by voluntary charity. 
They're helped when people actually give freely what they have to other people. And that is what happens. I mean, and some of the most charitable people are the wealthiest people. I mean, before we had income taxes, we had plenty of charitable giving. You know, now the government tries to pretend that the only reason people give money is because they can deduct it on their taxes so the government can take credit for charitable giving. Look, if the government didn't take so much money from people in income taxes, they'd have a lot more money to give away to charity. And probably the best benefit of private charity, other than the fact that you're not legitimizing theft, other than the fact that private charity is moral and what the government is doing is completely immoral, is that when the private sector does it, it's effective. When the government does it, it just perpetuates poverty. See, when people are giving their own money away, they really want to make a difference, right? If they're giving money, they want to make sure that the money that they worked hard to earn isn't being squandered. They want to make sure that the person or the charity who's getting the money is deserving of the money, is going to be efficient with the utilization of that money. Uh, they want to, they're very uh, careful to try to weed out fraud and abuse because after all, it's their money. They want it going to people who actually need it and they want to help lift people out of poverty. They don't want to perpetuate poverty. They want to give people a hand up, right? Not just a hand out. They want to help people out of poverty so they stay out of poverty. It's the exact opposite with government. Government is extremely inefficient and wasteful. They waste all the money they get. Maybe, you know, maybe private charities, let's say if they raise a dollar, you know, maybe it takes 10 or 20 cents to administer the charity and, you know, 80 cents goes to, 80, 90 cents goes to the people they're trying to help. It's the opposite with government. Government bureaucracy is probably going to consume 80 to 90 cents of the tax dollars. And then there's like 10, 20 cents left over for the poor people, right? They're, they're, the poor people get nothing. It's the bureaucracy that gets everything. But then governments don't want to lift people out of poverty. They want to perpetuate poverty because all these government agencies are there to generate business for themselves. They all want to get bigger. They all want to hire more people. So if you have a government agency that's in, in charge of you know giving money to poor people, they want to create more poor people so now they can have a bigger budget and they can have more power. So what they're trying to do with their charity is keep people poor. They want to give people just enough money so they never get out of welfare. They want to create incentives that when you're on welfare, you can never get out, right? They want to give you welfare, but then if you get a job, they want to take it away, you know, and they want to find a way to trap you in poverty because that way they can keep their program going. And of course, if they keep you trapped in poverty, you're going to keep voting for the politicians who you think are going to help you, right? That was Harry Brown said that quote that, you know, government is great at breaking your leg and then giving you a crutch and then saying, see, look, without me, you couldn't walk. So, you know, people don't realize just like with the student loan problem, you know, even I hear the left complains now about all the, uh, the student debt that's out there. Yeah. Because of the government who, who led them down the path, who guaranteed those loans, who made those loans. It was government. Government, when I saw, oh, we're going to help you students, you know, in exchange for your votes, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you student loans if you vote for us. And the, and the students think they're getting something for nothing. But now all of a sudden the colleges are jacking up their tuitions. The beneficiaries of the government loans and the government guarantees are the colleges who can overcharge for the degrees and the banks who can make loans without risk. I mean, those are the winners. The losers are the poor students who are voting for these politicians because they think they're getting something for nothing. But I've said that over and over again. When a politician tells you he's going to give you something for nothing, you, know, you better watch out because it always costs something, right? Whatever the government puts in your right pocket, they're taking it out of your left. You just don't notice it.
You know, I think it's funny because I was my my son pointed this out to me. My old my older son was watching a YouTube video from the Young Turks, and even the Young Turks now are talking about this bubble economy, all the student debt, all the auto debt, and the credit card debt, and the stock market bubble, and how the job the unemployment rate isn't real, and how the people have jobs but they're crappy jobs, and they're not. I mean, they're basically saying all the things that I was saying when Obama was president, that they weren't saying, but now all of a sudden Trump is president and they're saying it, right? You know, they, they probably would make fun of me for saying this stuff when Obama was president, but now that Trump is president, oh yeah, the economy's a bubble created by the Fed. They're printing too much money. The jobs are phony. You know, it's all going to come crashing down. Yeah, they're right. It is all going to come crashing down. But but you know, the, the hypocrisy is on both sides, right? Because you know, Trump is flipped. So now so have the left. Now the left is saying the economy is a bubble and Trump is saying it's great. But when he was when he was running for office, he was the one that was saying it was a bubble. You know, but again, this is exactly what all the Republicans did when George Bush was president. It really pissed me off then and it pisses me off more now. They talk about how great everything is, the Goldilocks economy, it's perfect. They want to keep padding Bush on the back for the tax cuts and how, because, you know, this is so much better than when we had Clinton as president, because now we have a Republican in there and the economy is booming. And it was all nonsense. It was all a big bubble, but the Republicans refused to admit it. Well, now we have an even bigger bubble and the same Republicans refuse to admit it. But now you've got the left that's now talking about the bubble, which is why when this bubble pops, it is going to uh, blow up the Republicans' chances in 2020 because they own the bubble and they're going to be blamed for it, you know. And 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 the left is going to be able to say, "See, we told you so," right? And they're going to come in with their socialist um, mandate, and that's going to be the end of it, right? I mean, then we're going to go full board. Now, I was looking at an example of how ridiculous these double standards are. Too, I was reading these articles about this guy who's a cast member or was a um, uh, one of the bachelors in the, the, the TV show The Bachelorette on ABC, right? And the Bachelorette was the spinoff of The Bachelor. So you got one woman and she's, you know, she's got a bunch, 20 guys and, um, you know, she's going to try to find her husband. And every, every week they eliminate a couple of guys until eventually it's down to one guy and, you know, they get engaged and sometimes they actually do get married. Most of the times they, they break up. But apparently one of these contestants on there had to apologize, officially come out and apologize because it came out that on his Instagram site, he liked some posts that were kind of jokes at the left. That's what they were. They were jokes. They were kind of making fun of um, the transgender issues. They were making fun of some of the immigration issues. I mean, I I looked at all the, the, the posts that this guy, all he did is like it. He didn't like say anything. He just like clicked on it that he liked it, right? Maybe he thought it was funny, right? Because they were clearly jokes. You know, one of them, I think there was a guy that was like standing by a wall and he had a kid like in his arms. And it was a joke about maybe throwing, you know, this is what happens when you we get a kid or he's throwing him back over the wall. There was some stuff with Caitlyn Jenner and a bat. I mean, there was just, you know, some of them were okay. I mean, kind of funny. Um, I mean, sure, there some of them are in, are in bad taste and they're making fun of people. That's what humor is about. Humor is about making fun of people. I mean, that's, I mean, you ever go see a stand-up comedy show? I mean, that's all they do is make fun of people. They make fun of everybody. I mean, that's, that's what makes it funny. I mean, a lot of these guys just make fun of themselves, right? Self-deprecating humor is, uh, is pretty popular. But look, yeah, we like, to, we like to make fun of people as a joke. 
right? So the left can't take a joke now because this guy found some of these things funny. I mean, it's all it's obviously a joke. None of it is serious, right? And I'm sure the left makes jokes about the right all the time, right? I mean, sure, no problem. And I'm sure if this guy had liked a joke about Trump or, you know, about any real conservative or libertarian, right? If, he, if there was something, somebody had put up a picture and it was making fun of some Republican position and a guy on the left said that he liked it, hey, no big deal, right? No big deal. But if you like something that supposedly offends somebody, then you got you to gotta make this big public apology. He had to take down his entire uh, Instagram page and he had to put up something else. He had to apologize for, for offending people by liking a joke that some people were offended by. Everybody is offended by jokes, right? Or, you know, or they shouldn't be. I mean, look, I mean, people tell Jewish jokes. Sometimes I laugh at them. Sometimes I tell them myself, right? Big deal, right? It's humor, right? People find certain things funny. They don't take it seriously. So now the left doesn't even have a sense of humor, right? You can't even, you can't even tell a joke. Talk about intolerance when you can't even tolerate humor, right? People aren't allowed to say something that's a joke, right? I mean, and it's not like they're in that bad taste. I mean, look at these things. None of them are horrible. None of them are off the charts. They're just, yeah, so it could be a little offensive. Yeah, nobody has a right not to be offended. Remember when I read uh, through uh, or that section of the, the uh, Declaration of Independence. And we talk about what government is there to do. They're there to uh, protect your liberty and protect your uh, property, but they're not there to protect you from being offended, right? Nobody has a right to walk through life without being offended. I mean, because when you live in a free society, what some people do is going to offend you. What some people say is going to offend you. That is the trade-off because you know what? You're allowed to offend other people. You can say things that other people are offended by. You could do things that other people are offended by. See, that's, again, all this stuff about discrimination. You don't have a right not to be discriminated against. If people want to discriminate against you, they're going to do it because that's their right. And you have the same right, right? And the government is not there to make sure that people don't discriminate against you. Because that's what freedom is about. Freedom is about people doing things that you may not like, that you may not agree with. Nobody is obligated to help you. Nobody is obligated to give you a job. Nobody is obligated to bake you a cake, right? You need to take care of yourself, right? The best you can and allow other people to do that. And if there are people who are less fortunate than you and you want to help them out, then go ahead and do it. But don't think that the government is there to steal from other people. You know, I find that a lot of times the liberals are extremely charitable with other people's money. They're all high and mighty when they're talking about how much the rich should pay, right? Oh, yes, this is a great cause. Let's tax the rich. Well, donate some money yourself, right? If you think it's such a great cause, you know, why don't you support it? Why do you have to force somebody else to support the cause? Go support it yourself. You find that, you know, when it comes to their own money, no, 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 they're not nearly as charitable as they are with somebody else's money. Because if it doesn't cost you anything personally, well, sure, you could be for every kind of scheme if you think somebody else is paying for it. That's another reason why the private charity is so efficient, because the people who are actually making the donations care about how they're used. You know, if it's somebody else that's paying for it, you don't give a damn. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this podcast up. I've been talking for longer than I thought. But I think one thing I wanted to, to mention, I did, I did see more and more of these, uh, 
these articles now that were written about the the Bitcoin debate that I did with Eric Voorhees. And again, if you haven't watched it, it is uh, it is up on my uh, my YouTube channel. But almost every article that I read, either in the headline or very quick, it's about how I was defeated, how I lost. You know, so that seems to to be the whole point of the debate was so I could lose, right? They all knew I was going to lose because you know they were all going to vote the way they they voted, right? That they all they all came in not in favor of Bitcoin, and then they were convinced by my opponent that Bitcoin was going to succeed, but somehow they they thought it was going to fail before the debate. So the whole idea was to show that I got into this debate and I lost to kind of validate uh, the future of Bitcoin. Right, that's really the purpose. Not that we had a debate, but that Peter Schiff lost and the pro-Bitcoin guy won. So in a way, I mean, I feel kind of a little bit duped about that. Kind of like, you know, did they use me just so they can um, uh, support this? But you know, Reason. I mean, Reason Magazine. I mean, I you know, I've done stuff with them, and they're pretty much a libertarian. But you know, maybe they are somehow caught up into this whole uh, Bitcoin mania. And so one way to promote Bitcoin is to somehow to discredit me. By, by saying that I, that I lost the debate. But I think anybody, if you watch that entire debate, and I, apparently people are, are, are complaining about the sound, but I mean, I didn't record it. Uh, it got recorded, so that's the only uh, quality that we have. But I mean, I listened to it. You could hear it. Uh, but I think if you actually listen to that debate from the beginning, um, I think it's pretty clear that I did not lose that debate. <laughs> but um, you know, most people won't actually listen to the debate. They'll just read the article and just assume that I lost. Oh, by the way, I almost forgot. Next week, I am going to be at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. I fly out on Tuesday. Looking forward to seeing everybody there. I've been talking about it on this podcast. If you haven't signed up, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a little late. But of course, if you live in the Vegas area, probably never too late to get a ticket for Freedom Fest. Don't forget, I've got several workshops I'm participating in, panels. I've got a booth down there. I think the reps from the LA office are going to be manning the booth with me. I've got my wife and kids, so you got plenty of opportunity uh, to meet the family. You know, I'm going to be doing the Joe Rogan podcast again for the third time. I'm actually going to fly to L.A. on Wednesday of next week just for the day to do that podcast because I was going to be in L.A. the following week, but Joe's out of town, and I really wanted to do his podcast again. Always have a good time there. He's got a great audience, uh, so I always get some good feedback when I do his, uh, his podcast. He's got a brand-new studio which is supposedly really cool, so I do want to see that. But I am going to spend more time in California. I'm going out to California for the week following Freedom Fest. I'm lining up some of the conservative, libertarian-type radio shows and podcasts. You know, By the way, I'm also going to do uh, the, the Sherman Show, which is a podcast that is sponsored by DoubleLine. That is uh, Jeff Gundelock's uh, firm out in downtown L.A. You know, He's one of the only guys out there in the mainstream that I actually pay attention to, that really knows what he's talking about. And so I'm looking forward to doing that podcast. I'm not sure if it's live or uh, or if they you know if they record it and then they play it later. Uh, but I'm sure you'll be able to listen to it. Joe Rogan, of course, you know, they they play that live. So it's a live interview, but then of course a lot of people just uh, listen to it later on on his, you know, just on the podcast or on his YouTube channel. So um, yeah, that's gonna be Wednesday of next week. So I just want to make sure that you guys know my schedule so you can kind of look out for some of these other appearances and make sure not to miss it.